This is Animals Voice Podcast, presented by the Ontario SPCA, with 50 communities working together for animal welfare. We've got another great show for you on the way, so put your paws up, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Please be aware this episode of Animals Voice Podcast contains stories and content which may be graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Animals Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McKenzie, and I'm very happy to be joined today by uh, Tom Farrow, a retired FBI agent and responsible for the Rose Thorn investigation in Tennessee, which we're going to get into, uh, and an expert in the unique matters of cockfighting. How are you, sir? I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you for joining us on Animals Voice You're Podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. So, I mean, this is a, an interesting topic and one we don't get into very often in Canada. So, we, you know, we feel lucky to have you here as an expert in this field to talk to us about it. How did you end up becoming an expert in the international sport of cockfighting? Well, it's a, uh, a story that started off with a police corruption investigation in Tennessee. Okay. As an active uh, FBI agent in, in uh, northeast Tennessee, we embarked on a eight-year police corruption investigation. And part of that uh, investigation, there was a branch of the law enforcement that was protecting cockfighting. Okay. And that ended up evolving into doing search warrants and then seizing uh, two cockfighting pits in uh, Cock County. And Cock County, Tennessee is not named for cockfighting. It's actually named for a Revolutionary War colonel named Cock, C-O-C-K-E. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the biggest cockfighting centers of Tennessee. At least it was in 2005, 2008. Okay. It sounds like you stepped in and, and uh, helped we, put, put, a, put a bit of a damper on that. We did. The FBI um, conducted an investigation from 2001 to 2005. Which this, was the, this was the Rose Thorn investigation? This was Rose Thorn, yes. Okay. And it, it was basically the FBI against the Cock County Sheriff's Department combating corruption, not targeting cockfighting. Okay. Cockfighting was just one of the issues that the police were involved in. So there was drug... Uh, illegal. I'm looking at the list here and the research that we did. So there was like illegal drugs, gambling, prostitution, uh, stolen cars, chop shops, and animal fighting. Right. So there's a lot going on there. There was. It was... Um, quite an investigation wow. I must say. <laughs> comprehensive that's that, that's uh that's crazy what was that like uh being involved in such a high level investigation of of the police no less as the case agent it was intense uh, although i was not the undercover agent i was the person in charge of the undercover agents mm-hmm. and i wasn't the rank and file officer that was working with us it was a cooperative effort between the FBI as lead agency, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, and the Tennessee Highway Patrol Criminal Investigations Division. And collectively, we put this case together. And it targeted from the sheriff all the way down to the line uh, deputies. And it just took different aspects of illegalities that they were doing and tried to dismantle them. And uh, if you could envision yourself and maybe two of your best friends doing something that you don't really want anybody else to to do with you and now there are all these outsiders are coming in trying to do it with you and that's about how it was in cock county they're very closed all of them were best friends all of them were uh, grew up together so yeah. you had to come up with ways to penetrate that inner circle and uh, we eventually did through informants and ruses and uh, undercover bars and 
FBI agents that posed as cockfighters and FBI agents that posed as thieves and FBI agents that posed as um, all kinds of different different things. So, I mean, How many convictions uh, did, came out of this investigation? We did, um, I think we did eight law enforcement officers, about 53 civilians federally, and 167 civilians in state court, somewhere, wow. somewhere around in those numbers. Those are big numbers. That's yeah, a big it was. It was, it was a very successful uh, case, and uh, it was one of the first ones that we used um, some of the forfeiture aspects on animal fighting, and mm-hmm. we actually seized the pits, we seized the farms, uh, the people that were running that uh, lost their property. Okay. So, I guess those were the effective ways to put a damper on all this activity was to take the tools that they had it, at their disposal to, to host these events or to be involved in these illegal activities and or, you know, take those those assets from them, right? It really is. I mean, if you, and if you take basic investigation techniques uh, that I'll get into in, in my presentation a little bit later, but the you know when you ask yourself, how do you investigate something, it's very cliche for people to say, A, follow the money. Mm-hmm. That's most definitely one of the best techniques. You follow the money. And two, if my, my Latin's probably off, but que bono or something along those lines, who benefits? Try to figure out those two aspects and you can investigate anything in the world if you keep those two things in mind, no matter how complicated. That cockfighting pits, while they wanted to say, oh, it's our heritage, it's our sport, it's our it, it's our culture, it's our regional this or our regional that. It's really not. It's really all about money. Okay. And one of the uh, pit owners uh, from the Del Rio pit, actually a pretty nice guy. I still keep in contact with him. Uh, he uh, actually is just one of those guys that was, uh, he says, you know, I had no idea the FBI cared about cockfighting. I kept saying we we didn't at the time. Yeah. Now there's a f- different federal laws against it, at least in the, in the U.S. But at the time, the FBI didn't care about cockfighting. But when you paid off law enforcement to conduct it, right? It's, they it's all of that. So it all it's all under this big umbrella of police corruption. Uh, we're talking to Tom Farrow, retired FBI agent and and uh, an expert in the matter of cockfighting. And uh, we will be right back here on Animals Voice podcast because I have some more questions. I want to talk to you about animal cruelty and 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 some of the other activities involved uh, in in your area of expertise. So stay right with us, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Brad Dewar, an inspector with the Ontario SPCA. Every day, Ontario SPCA officers respond to calls of animals being abused or neglected. All animals in Ontario are required to be provided with basic standards of care. If you suspect abuse or neglect, call our toll-free call centre at 310-SPCA or 7722. You can also email your complaint to cruelty at ospca.on.ca. Welcome back. Please be aware this episode of Animals Voice podcast contains stories and content which may be graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Animals Voice podcast. We are uh, with Tom Farrow, who is a retired FBI special agent and an expert in the area of cockfighting. Now, a lot of our listeners and viewers may not be aware of the logistics of cockfighting. In the first half of the interview, we were talking about some some of the uh, tools or assets needed to have cockfighting taking place. You referenced pits. It makes me uh, want you to paint the picture. Can you describe what is the setup of a cockfight? What is a pit? Sure. 
uh, generally, these are very large organized events, sometimes 50 people, sometimes 400 people. It just depends on the area, the demographics, and what's going on at the time. Mm -hmm. now, now realize weather has a lot to do with cockfighting. They don't usually fight during the molt, which is August through about December, around January to about mid-July, depending on the heat in your region and how the birds react. That's the big, okay. the big at time. So you would pull up to, oh, a farm or a barn or wherever this venue is, and somebody would be then running the pit. And when I say the pit, it, it kind of resembles a boxing arena. It'll have some, you know, and some of them are very informal, but they'll have seating all around it, and then they'll have a central ring where the, the bird and the bird handlers and the referee will be in there, and, the, and they'll actually fight the birds. So when you drive in, usually someone will stop you at the gate, and you have to pay, you know, $5, $10, $20, depending on whatever it is, mm -hmm. and you go in and you're a spectator. So you have then your favorite teams or people you may know that have teams there, they come in, they pay a registration fee, uh, usually per bird, could be a three cock, five cock, seven cock derby, depending on what kind of fight you're having that weekend. And you'll come in and you might uh, just like the way one guy's birds look over another and you know he may be wearing a red shirt, so you may yell out, I've got 50 on red. And another guy will say, well, I got 50 on white, so that's your bet. Wow. There's not really a, on some places there's a house guy that'll be the bet go between, mm -hmm. but mostly it's just uh, kind of like, like you see in a movie, everybody holding the money, yelling, <clears throat> you know, I've got 50 on him and 20 on him and this one on that one. And um, they try to keep them fairly clean, try to keep the alcohol use down, things like that, um, because fights and knives and knife fights and gun fights and anything that brings trouble brings the law and then if if the law is honest mm -hmm. uh, which hopefully it is yeah um, and most of the time it is uh, you know the pit owners don't want that to happen so the birds then fight and you have a you have a um, referee and uh, you'll see them taunt the bird the hand you know the person will be handling their bird and they'll taunt them a little bit to kind of get the the roosters attention to each other there'll be a line and each one throws them down and they go to fight now they have implements you know, it's not a natural fight. Mm -hmm. So you have a, it could be a long knife, it could be a short knife, or it could be a slash, a, a gaff fight. Long knife is about a two and a half, three inch, razor sharp, somewhat sickled knife, and you only get one of those um, on bird's leg. And then a short knife, usually a more southern, South Mexico, South American type fight, will have a shorter knife, usually called a Mexican short knife, and it's about an inch and a half long, mm -hmm. and you get one of those. Uh, southeastern United States fights a lot of gaff fights. It's about a three-and-a-half-inch uh, ice pick-looking implement, and you get two of those. You get one on each leg. Oh, wow. That's more of a scratching wound than a stabbing, slashing wound, so a lot of those fights go a long time. Now, okay. Every once in a while, someone will get a, uh, one of the implements through the brain or something, and the fight's over in 10 seconds. But a lot of times, you know, they'll go... 30 seconds, three minutes, sometimes they'll go 15 minutes, and, and they'll fight these birds continuous, and, and you have to break them, just like wrestlers and, and boxers, the referee will make them break when they get tied up, uh, he'll make them break, and then you have to you know kind of revive your bird and get him to fight again, and they'll keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. Now, one of the misnomers is people think that 
oh, I, you know, I fight my bird at 10 o'clock and I got to fight him again at 2 o'clock and I got to fight him again at 6 o'clock. That, that's not the case. Probably one or both of them are going to die. I mean, one of them always dies. So uh, your winner might fight once a year, sometimes might fight twice a year. If you have a lot of birds in your stable, you know, so many people have hundreds of birds. And depending on how they train them and how they outfit them, they spend a lot of money in, on them. The brood trios, uh, you know, the bloodlines are all computerized, just like horses and uh, dogs. You know, they'll they'll keep their lineage. It's 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 involved. I mean, I can we could go on for hours on uh, how involved it is, but it, it's very it's very sophisticated. It's not it's not your stereotypical. You know, a lot of people just think, oh, it's a bunch of chicken fighters and they're a bunch of hillbillies in overalls and a bunch of hayseeds back there doing, you know, this backwoods thing. It's really not. It's uh, big money, fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars purse in some of these. Uh, wow. In some of these big, uh, you know, seven cock derbies uh, in Mississippi or Alabama or some of the lower southeastern U.S. Uh, and that's where most of the big fighting happens because the laws are so lax. Now, in Canada, I'm not sure of all your laws, but, of course, going in the U.S., going from state to state or going across the Canadian border back and forth international would be the same as state to state to the federal law. So it would would apply applicably. Wow. What are the social issues surrounding this activity? I mean, you just actually touched on it, I think, talking about people make assumptions that it's backwoods, you know, hillbilly stuff. And it's really not. Like, are, are there social issues that drive the prevalence of cockfighting? There are, and there's also issues that have been actually discussed in federal court of what is the effect on children, because there's a lot of children at these fights. I've never really? been to. I've never been to these fights, and we've never filmed them in an undercover capacity when we haven't seen children, and I mean lots of them. So that's one of the big concerns we had in the FBI when we when we went to uh, serve search warrants and we went to do law enforcement activities, you don't want to go running in with a bunch of guns drawn and, and you have a bunch of kids running around. So, you know, you just want, don't want to take the danger of something happening. Yeah. So we would do it a lot more covertly and a lot more low key because of that. But one of the social issues that was brought up was if you continuously see animals, uh, you, know, you know, roosters in this setting, again and again and again being killed being uh, put out of their misery uh, is what they you know because a lot of times if the bird just lays down and won't fight they just kill it okay. because if it's a quitter it's a they'll bang it up against a railing or something like that wow. and we've actually filmed little children and, it, and when the roosters are dead they just throw them in this big cart with a big sign on it in a couple of the pits that say aptly dead rooster cart and so they fill that up, and, and the kids would get the dead roosters, and, they, and they'd be imitating their dads, you know, fighting the, you know, pretending oh. like these. So the, the question is, is, does that then desensitize you to violence? Does it desensitize you to, uh, you know, violence against anything lesser or anything that you perceive as weaker? Uh, are there social issues to, uh, about, you know, child rearing? Is it, you know, does it bring on domestic violence? I, I'm not oh, a sociologist, I, but... And is it passing down through the generations, this activity? And listen, you might be more f- familiar or more used to or accustomed to this kind of activity. And I don't know if you've been reading my body language <laughs> as you're talking about this. I, I've never seen anything like this. It's gruesome. It, it, it sounds gruesome. horrendous. It, uh, you know, when you walk into these pits, other than 
you know, the smell of a chicken coop, which of course is just permeates the place. Then you've got blood and parts and things like that. It can get pretty overwhelming and pretty gruesome. Mm-hmm. It's passed down like, you know, all oh, my dad fought, my grandfather fought, you know, and that goes on and on. Some of the younger generations, I think, are lessening towards these blood sports. I think because of the SBCAs and the different humane societies and the different animal welfare uh, people that are out there. And I think some of the younger generation is a little more tuned into that side than as much of the animal fighting side. We don't see as many young people doing it. And I personally think it's a dying sport and I don't even want to use the word sport. And I'll talk about that a little bit in, in my other presentation when, you know, where the judges didn't even allow the defense attorneys to use sport mm-hmm. uh, in their defense because uh, just not a sport. It's yeah. illegal activity. Right. So it's yeah. You, not, you, can't, don't you we... can't use the two words together. So what can our listeners and our, our viewers be on the lookout for if they suspect that an illegal sport, sorry to use that, it's <laughs> yeah. not a sport like cockfighting is taking place in their community? What, what can they be looking for as clues? Well, I mean, you can certainly see the breeders in your in your area with the little teepees and the little, the, the little rooster houses. Mm-hmm. Now, in most places, breeding the roosters is not illegal. Breeding them and then selling them to fight is, but that's almost impossible to really prove. It's almost like, you know, you grew that tomato to sell, but you didn't sell it in the right way, so how do you know? Yeah. But you can certainly see uh, your neighbors, and if they're into cockfighting, you're going to know it because they're very noisy birds. They're all over the place. They have to have a place to train them. They have to have a place to condition them. And uh, it's a very regimented, it takes all year, um, sometimes two years, three years, to get these roosters where they want to go in their conditioning. There's uh, different kinds of drugs that they use for all these things. But a lot of it is just vigilance of the neighbors. I mean, if you got 200 people going into the farm next to you on a Saturday afternoon, something's you know, going on. Well, what's he doing? <laughs> you know, what's he doing? And, uh, uh, so something's going on there. And a lot of it is the communities know, and then you've got to figure out who to turn to. Okay. And that's how Cock County came into thing. They said, we can't turn to our local officers because – they're in on they're it. taking payoffs yeah. uh, on it so that's how it can, but you know that's that kind of corruption is very rare so i mean it uh, the community just keeps vigilant sees the sees the sees the roosters moving through their community sees the dogs you know if it was a dog fight it'd be the same thing mm-hmm. sees sees the animals moving through their community well they they know that's not that's out of the ordinary sure sure so, you know it can just kind of be a kind of awareness of your community what's going on we we do have to wrap up but i, I just i have one more question how socially acceptable is is cockfighting and, and is it geographically in there are parts in the united states where this is still thought of as being oh it's no big deal versus other parts of the country where it's really frowned upon yes there are parts of the re- country and in, in regions that are just highly insulted that you would even judge, say anything yeah, about judge their, them for this. You know, you know, who are you to, to, these are my roosters, and if, if I want to fight them or starve them or do whatever I want to do to them, that's my right. And so you, you butt up against that. You butt up against a lot of old-time uh, lawmakers that are just ingrained with some of this stuff. I mean, Judge Greer, uh, federal judge in Tennessee, said it the best. He said, there's a lot of things in our history and a lot of things in our culture that we used to do 
that as a civilized people, yeah. we don't do anymore. Exactly. We used to displace people off the sides of mountains and make them walk to Oklahoma and make them live on reservations. Well, we don't, we don't do that anymore. We used to enslave our fellow men because of their color. Well, we don't do that anymore. So why are we fighting uh, animals as a, as a civilized society yeah. for profit and then claiming it's a cultural right? It's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't really fit with what you would think of a civilized group would do. So I guess it takes time to change minds and change uh, perceptions. Hundreds of years. Wow. Tom Farrow, a retired FBI uh, special agent and uh, an expert in cockfighting. Thank you for joining us uh, and teaching us, explaining, painting the picture for us. And uh, it's it's fascinating. And uh, congratulations on the work that you did in Tennessee that helped stop a lot of this activity that was happening uh, with the Rose Thorn investigation. Thank you. Thank you to the listeners of Animals Voice Podcast. Can't wait to hear feedback on this episode uh, and show ideas. You can follow me on Twitter at OSPCA Kevin, or you can email me show ideas at kmckenzie at ospca.on.ca. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or at SoundCloud. And uh, until next time, we will catch you later. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Animals Voice Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and at our website, ontariospca.ca. Animals Voice Podcast is a production of the Ontario SPCA. The Society would like to thank all our supporters. Together, we are the Animals Voice.